Well, we are continuing our study in Luke's gospel, and I'd invite you to turn to chapter 12, as we'll be looking at verses 22 to 34 this morning. Uh, We're in a section where, uh, in Luke, it sounds very similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we would find in Matthew. Some of the same themes are addressed here. Some even of the same quotes from Jesus we find in this text. And so uh, it is dealing with issues that are very relevant to our life, as we will see. Let's take a look. I'd like to read for us chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, this is just such a relevant text. Always has been. Always will be. Because you know our tendency to worry or be anxious about stuff, about things going on in our life, and yet you come to us and you say, don't worry. Trust me. Father, I pray that we would grow in that. In whatever area we need to deal with this morning, that you would bring it to mind, that we would give that to you. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, guide my words today, as well, that what I say would be true to your scripture. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. In April 2014, the Washington Post ran an article that was titled, Happy Days No More. Middle-class families squeeze as expenses soar and wages fall. And the article was talking about the pressure that the middle class has been feeling in this past decade or maybe more, you know, where you feel like uh, expenses are going up, wages have been kind of flat, things are tighter, It's harder to to maybe save for those things that you once thought you could. In fact, they did a national survey, and they reported it in that article. They asked people if they felt it was easier or harder to pay for a list of middle-class expenses. And here are the percentages of people who felt it was harder to pay for these things. For example, to pay for college, 
77% said it's harder to set aside money for that today. 74% said it's hard to find good jobs. And they were talking about jobs that have benefits. And many people today find themselves working two or even three part-time jobs trying to cobble together enough income to make it work. Those who were talking about saving for retirement, 71% said it was harder to do that. 66% said it's harder to get ahead financially. 64% said it was harder to pay for affordable health care. And you can think about the Affordable Care Act that has made it uh, better for some and it has made it more expensive for others. And then uh, to find decent affordable housing, 54% said that was a struggle for them. They included in that article a quote from a man named Steve Johnson, who was just an average kind of working man, father and husband. And he said, I don't care about being rich. I just wish I didn't have to struggle every month. That's how he felt. And maybe that's how some of you feel, too, as you think of what's going on in your own life. You can identify with these struggles. Life is a struggle, and that isn't going to change But what if you could take the anxiety out of it? What if in the midst of your trials you could have peace? You could be at rest knowing that it's going to be okay. Jesus is telling us in this passage that we can live that way. That we can have peace in our heart if we will do these three things that we're going to bring out from the text this morning. Number one. He calls us to trust in God's fatherly care. We can have peace if we will trust in God as our Heavenly Father. Verse 22 begins with Jesus said to his disciples. There are multitudes of people that have gathered. There's, you know, this crowd of thousands. But Jesus now is speaking to the disciples, and that's significant. What he is about to say is a word for believers. It is for those who can call God Father. It's for we who have come to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord and come into this family of God where we can call upon God at any time as our loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus is saying to them and to us, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Why? Because your Father in Heaven knows what you need And he will provide for you. And Jesus gives us two examples from nature. He says, consider the ravens. I mean, look at those birds. Maybe you have a feeder in your backyard, or maybe you're just driving and you notice the birds that are out and about. And who cares for them? God does. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. What's interesting about Ravens is that earlier, you know, Jesus in verses 6 and 7 had talked about sparrows and how not one of them will fall to the ground apart from our Father's knowing. Well, now he's talking about ravens, and to the Jewish people, ravens were considered unclean and therefore unworthy of care. And yet, what Jesus is saying is that God cares for them just as God cares for all people. And he says, how much more valuable are you than birds? Consider the lilies, those beautiful flowers, regal in their color, 
more splendid than Solomon, and yet are here today and gone tomorrow. You can think about those daylilies that have such a short lifespan, if you will. Are you not worth more than them? If God cares for the flowers in this way, will he not care for you? I was thinking yesterday as I was out enjoying the beautiful fall colors, how if Jesus were speaking here at a time like this, he'd say, look at those fall colors. And look at the beauty of God's creation and how he cares for them. Those leaves that are there just such a short time here and gone. Will he not care for you? And besides, what good does worrying do? Will it add an hour to your life? No. In fact, probably the opposite. If you're prone to worry and being anxious all the time, it's probably going to shorten your life. It doesn't change anything. It only makes you more upset. God wants us to trust in his sovereign care. You remember the hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow? Maybe those of you that were older remember hearing George Beverly Shea when he would sing that. Or Ethel Waters at a Billy Graham crusade. Ethel Waters used that as the title of her biography, His Eye is on the Sparrow. How did that song come about? Well, there was a woman named Miss Sevilla Martin who wrote that great hymn. And in 1904, she went to visit a friend of hers who was a Christian and who was bedridden. And Mrs. Martin asked this woman if she ever got discouraged because of her physical condition. And she replied to her and said, Mrs. Martin, how can I be discouraged when my Heavenly Father watches over each little sparrow and I know he loves and cares for me? Well, when Mrs. Martin went home that day, in just a few minutes, she wrote out these words that became that great hymn. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I kept humming or singing this weekend the chorus to that hymn. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. God's fatherly love for us can be transforming in our life. You hold on to that. You trust in God's care and his goodness for us. And you will see that he is a good, good father, just as we sang. And because of his fatherly love for us, we can turn our attention to the kingdom. And that's the second thing that Jesus tells us. If we want to experience his peace in this life, then seek first his kingdom. You look at verses 31 and 32. He reminded them of these things, and he said that when you seek his kingdom, then God will provide all the other things that you need. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Last week, we talked about the parable of the rich fool. And what we saw there is that the rich fool thought that life was all about money and possession. So he was going to grab as much as he could. He was going to store it up and build those bigger barns. And that night his life was taken from him. 
He was a fool in the eyes of God. But sadly, that's how many in our world live. And that's why Jesus says here that, you know, the pagan world runs after all these things. And again, an interesting point here is that Jesus is talking about things like food and clothing. He's talking about necessities. He's not talking about all the other things that people run after. You know, the amusements, the entertainment, the games, maybe a fancier car or computer or toys that you want or whatever it might be. He's talking about how the pagan world just runs to gather all those things like food and clothing even. And he tells us that as followers of Jesus, we are to live differently. We are to seek his kingdom. Put first things first, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, when he says that they will be given to you, that's not an excuse to be lazy. The normal way that God provides for us is through our work. But when someone can't work or loses a job or is elderly or disabled or a widow who cannot support themselves, that's where the church comes alongside to help. But it is God who is our ultimate provider. And our focus is to be on him and on his kingdom. To seek first the kingdom is to place ourselves under his lordship. We are here to know God and to make him known. We're here to worship God and to serve him. We're here to help his kingdom grow. That is to be the priority of our life. It's not just to live for self and kind of live focused on this small world that revolves around us. But it's to look at the kingdom and to say, Lord, how do you want me to be involved in what you are doing in the world? How and where can I serve you? And what do you want me to do with the gifts that you have given to me? And then in verse 32, Jesus says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you. He wants to give us the kingdom. He wants us to enjoy the pleasures and the riches of his kingdom. It brings him joy. And that's amazing. I mean, this God who is all-sufficient in himself, who did not need to create us, made us because he wants to share his joy with us. And he wants to share his blessings with us. Think about all that that entails. The scripture tells us that Jesus is preparing a place for you in his father's house. John chapter 14. In my father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He tells us that in that place, there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. Revelation 21. All sin is gone. Only joy. Joy in the presence of the Lord. He tells us in Ephesians 2, 7, that it's going to take all of eternity to show us the incomparable riches of his grace. That's an amazing verse all of eternity to show us everything that God wants to fold out for us. Anyone who thinks that heaven is going to be boring really hasn't read or thought about that verse. The glorious, infinite God wants to display that glory for all of eternity. And he wants you to share in that. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he tells us that it is beyond our imagination. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived all that God has prepared for those who love him. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? 
all that God has prepared that begins now in this life when we come to know him and we experience a taste of that, but that will be unfolded for all of eternity when we are with him. We are children of the king of kings and we will reign with him forever. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ of all that he is going to inherit. This privilege for those who have come to know Jesus and entered into his family is outstanding. I love how C.S. Lewis described it. C.S. Lewis, when he was trying to take some of these great truths of Scripture and communicate them to us, found that the work or the genre of a children's story was often one of the best ways to do that. That's why he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And in his first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this part in there where Aslan, the Christ figure, says to the children who have come to Narnia, to Lucy and Edmund and Susan and Peter, he says this, To the glistening eastern sea I give you Queen Lucy the valiant. To the great western woods, King Edmund the just. To the radiant southern sun, Queen Susan the gentle. And to the clear northern skies, I give you King Peter the magnificent. Once a king or queen in Narnia, always a king or queen of Narnia. May your wisdom grace us until the stars rain down from the heavens. What came to mind for me as I read that was that Peter, Lucy, Edmund, Susan, they weren't always like those titles, were they? King Peter the Magnificent wasn't always wise and confident in what he should be doing. King Edmund, well, he was a traitor. He went over to the White Witch. He went over to the other side for a time, and it took the death of Aslan to redeem him and bring him back. Lucy could be anxious and worried. Susan could be vain. And yet here you have these titles given to them as Christ would give titles to us. When all of the dross in our life, all of the sin that is there is removed, all those things that we wrestle with, our tendency to worry or our tendency toward pride or, or uh, whatever area it may be in our life that we struggle with, one day that's going to be gone. Because God sees us as he made us and as we will be in Jesus Christ. That's powerful. That's transforming. We have a good father. And to seek first his kingdom is to place his will before our own. It's to say to him, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of our home. You're the Lord of this church. You are the Lord of my work. You are the Lord of our world. What is it that you want me to do? And then thirdly, Jesus tells us to be generous, to store our treasure in heaven. And we see that in verses 33 and 34. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. 
One of the questions that people often have when they read that is the question, does Jesus want everyone to sell all their possessions? Well, it would seem that the answer is no, but how do we know that? How do we decide that? I mean, when you see a command like this of Jesus to sell your possessions and give to the poor, how do we know the context and setting for that? Well, we look at this scripture and we look at other scripture. And what we see there are things like this, that Peter had a wife and a home in Capernaum, and Jesus didn't ask him to sell that. Lydia of Thyatira, who was a businesswoman, had a home in Philippi where the church started, that church of the Philippians. We look at an example of Mary and Martha and Lazarus who lived in Bethany, and Jesus stayed there on many occasions. And we don't see in Scripture that he was asking them to sell their home and everything that they had. No, there is a basis for ownership in the Scripture. And this command is not repeated, like, for example, at the end of 1 Timothy 6, when Paul instructs those who are rich in this present world to be generous, to not set their heart on what they have, to don't put their security in wealth, but to be generous and give and share. The very thing that Jesus is saying here. But to the rich young man who came to Jesus, Jesus did say, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because he was putting his finger on the thing that was an idol in that young man's life. His wealth was keeping him from trusting in God. It doesn't seem to be a universal command for everyone, but there are times, and God may be asking you to sell some of what you have and to give it to the poor, to invest it in his kingdom. You see, Jesus is saying to all of us to be generous. Don't be like the rich fool who tried to hoard his treasure on earth. That is folly. Use your wealth in a way that will count for eternity. Care for the poor. Support the work of the church. Give to send out missionaries. Train and equip pastors and disciple makers. When you do that, those investments are multiplied many times over for eternity. And why should we do that? Well, the scripture tells us, for one thing, storing our treasure on earth is a bad investment. It's all going to perish one day. You can't take it with you. Recently, we had a vivid illustration of that. I was reading the story this weekend of a family who lost everything in the fire in the Napa Valley. An elderly couple who had done quite well in their work, who had traveled the world and experienced all kinds of treasures that they had brought back, found themselves caught in a fire. And when they tried to drive out their driveway, there was no way they were going to get out. It was a wall of flames. The only thing that they could do was to take refuge in a neighbor's swimming pool. And for six hours in that freezing water, they were there in that pool. Up and down. Every time they came out, had wet t-shirts over their head to keep the ashes and the smoke and fire from getting upon them. Their phone, their shoes that they left at the side of the pool literally melted. The flames were that hot. They had to wait for the fire to burn over and miraculously they survived. But everything that they owned in their home was lost. They had decorated 11 rooms in their house 
with treasures from the world wherever they had traveled. Each room was kind of representative of a different place of the world. All of their art, all of their possessions, gone. Jesus says it is foolish to store up our treasure on earth. Far better to invest it in the work of the kingdom that God might use it to bring others into his family. Everything we do for Jesus will ripple into eternity. Our giving, our service, our kindness, our prayers, our evangelism, our commitment to making disciples, God will use it. Secondly, giving to the poor blesses those who are in need, and it rids us of encumbering possessions. It is good for us to share what we have, and it blesses others. I mean, I think it's something as simple as our sharing shop, giving clothes, taking clothes out of our closet that we don't need or use and giving it to help someone else who could use it. That's a good thing. I'm doing that right now with my library as I'm downsizing and going to be moving things home. There are books out there. If you can use, take them, please, and be blessed. And it is a good thing to do that every now and then, to just clean things out and give it away in a way that can be used by the Lord. Because thirdly, Jesus says that our heart always follows our treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever noticed that when you buy a car, for example, you notice other people have a car just like yours? I drive a Subaru Outback, and I notice Subaru Outbacks all the time. And when I see one that's even the same color as mine in the same year, I go, that's my car that just went by. You know, we're, we're like that. We notice things that we have or we have invested in. If you invested in the stock market and you bought some shares of General Motors, well, what happens? Well, suddenly if there's a story in the news, you want to read about it. You check the financial pages. You want to know what's going on with GM. And you read every word of that article when a month ago you might not have cared less about it. Well, suppose you're giving to help African children with AIDS. And when you see an article on that subject, you're hooked. If you're sending money to plant churches in India and an earthquake hits India, you want to know where that was. Did it affect the churches that you were supporting? How are the believers there? You want to find out because you're praying for them. You care for them. Do you wish you cared more about eternal things? Then reallocate some of your money and give to those ministries and give to those needs because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, heart follows. That's what Randy Alcorn wrote in an article called Where's Your Heart? If we can trust God to provide for us, then we can be generous. If we believe he's a good, good father who's going to take care of our needs, and we don't have to be stingy, we don't have to worry about what we have and try to hang on to it all tightly, we can give it and allow God to use it and experience his blessings that come in return. The one who fears God and stores up treasure in heaven has nothing to fear. That's a good, good word. 
As Jesus' disciples, we are called to live by his values and not the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that changes the way we live and that changes the way we look at things in our life. <clears throat> Excuse me. It changes the way that we look at death and what is to come. It changes the way we look at our money and possessions. It changes the way that we look at the future and eternity. And we'll be talking more about that next week as we look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the way to overcome our worry is to trust in God's fatherly care. It is to put first things first and to seek his kingdom. And it is to be generous and to soar our treasure in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We want to live as your children in this world. And this is just such a good word to hear. You have been so generous with us, with all that Christ has done on our behalf and all that you are preparing for us. How can we not join with you in the work that you are doing in this world and give generously each as they are able? Father, thank you for these individuals here in our church who have given so generously here to carry on the work of the kingdom. And thank you for the partnership that we have with others serving all around the world. And Father, I pray that as we see needs that we can help with, people we know where we can encourage, I pray that we would do that. That we would be generous with our time, with our gifts, with our encouragement in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loves us and by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's people said, Amen.